0: I am going to give you a little bit of a chronology or a, a rundown of the events that take place that we're not really going to look at today. And then we're going to jump into our key passage. Last week, we did talk about Paul and Barnabas and about multiplication by division. How many of you are excited that you started school this week? Woohoo! Parents and teachers and children. All alike, right? Something that I don't think I mentioned in last week's message, but I should make sure to give you this little tidbit of information. I re-listened to the message and I couldn't catch it, although I had it in my notes. It's important for you to know this, that even though Paul and Barnabas split, you should know Paul talks about Barnabas later on in his ministry in a favorable way. God did work through both of those men in two different paths. So it is really important. I apologize, I I didn't get that out of my notes last week. But, so we're gonna look at what happens in chapter 16 of Acts through chapter 19 today before we jump into the message and I give you the title for today. So I'm gonna tell you this, what happens after Paul and Barnabas split, when that takes place, Paul finds another ministry partner whose name is Silas. Then Timothy joins Paul and Silas and the churches get strengthened. The Bible says that they increased in number. Now I'm challenged by that statement. That the impact of the strengthening of the church had a result that was visible, which was the increase in number. Then Paul has a vision where a man is urging him to come to Macedonia and help them. There are three prominent women mentioned in these next few chapters that we won't look at today, but they're very significant in the life and ministry of Paul and in the early church. Lydia, she's a native of a city called Thyatira, she believes in Jesus and gets baptized. Throughout those chapters that we're not looking at today, but I'm summarizing for you, there are five or six different geographical places mentioned, and they're mentioned for effect. The gospel truly was going viral where Paul and where his ministry was going, they were meeting people and leading them to faith in Christ, and then those people were going back to their hometowns or cities, and they were sharing the gospel, and it truly was heating up or speeding along. Then Paul and Silas cast a demon out of a girl. They get beaten up and thrown in prison because of this, but they worshipped God. They worshipped him even in the late hours of the night. And the word of God says an earthquake freed them from their chains and opened the doors of the prison. I don't know who else was impacted by that earthquake. But the sheer thought of the people who were like the soldiers and the warden watching Paul and Silas who were imprisoned. Identifying and understanding that this was a miracle ...that truly took place, it changed their life forever. That section of your Bible would probably be titled the Philippian Jailer. It's not titled Jailbreak or Earthquake. It's titled after the guy whose life is changed as a result of what God has done. Paul and Silas then continue to travel throughout this region... I talked about this um, over the last couple weeks. If you ever remember having a Bible that had the maps of Paul's journeys in the back, that is helpful because it mentions all these places. Then Paul goes to Corinth. Have you ever heard that term before? There's a book in the Bible, Corinthians. Actually, there's two, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Many Corinthians believe and are baptized, and Paul stays a year and a half in the city of Corinth, teaching them God's word. Then he goes to a place called Antioch, and then to a place called Ephesus, from which later he would, or not from, but to, later he would write an, an impactful and powerful letter to the church called Ephesians that we still use today. It's one of the most well-known of the New Testament books because of the, the meat or the content inside of it then these believers in Ephesus are getting baptized, not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. So Paul essentially asks them, into what have you been baptized? And they say, the baptism of John. We got in water, someone said something, and we were good on the way. And Paul says, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Amen. And then he starts to talk to them and teach them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So he stays in Ephesus for two years, and something interesting happens in the city of Ephesus. Many things, in fact, happened in Ephesus, in Paul's ministry, that are interesting. But the one that we'll talk about today, you can find in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, or I command you, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches or proclaims. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, in verse 15, and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, But who are you? So there's a spiritual conflict that begins to take place. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, beat them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, can you imagine? This is water cooler talk back then. <laughs> and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or lifted up. Verse 18 says this, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The title of my message today is The Spiritual Dimension. There's a spiritual dimension to our service of the king. There's a spiritual reality that we live in, whether we recognize it or not. Whether we see the impact of it or not, it is still there. I think about it in terms of us understanding we are living in a world that is within a realm. Those who like Lord of the Rings or things like that will understand. The kingdom of God is being formed on this earth But we are in the midst of a spiritual reality and we need to understand this. I want to offer to you a few observations this morning about this passage before I go further. But I do want you to understand when it says in this passage there was a Jewish high priest named Sceva who had seven sons. I want you to understand that there is room for us to study that. You say, well, what's the importance of that? The importance of that is that no high priest of the Jewish faith would have been someone who was doing stuff like he and his sons were. There's a record, there's literally records that you can find that list 27 or 28 of the high priests starting in the first century. All their names are known, and this man Sceva's name is not found. There's a translation challenge when you look at this to understand that he may not have been the highest priest like we think of the high priest in the Old Testament. But he may have been a chief priest who was a renegade not believing and behaving as God wanted him to. His sons not having authority given to them by God in this moment or having a real experience with a personal God had no right to be commanding evil spirits to leave. And so they got their whooping. (laughs) They got beat up and sent out. So I say that to say this. Whenever we discover something in the word of God that's just like I'm talking about now, you say, but pastor, the word of God says this. Deep study is important. Don't just read the words off the page, but dive into it to understand. God had chief priests all the way throughout, many of whom served him, some of which who did not Do according to his word. But it's important you understand Sceva is not this main leader of all the Jews in that day. But he did have seven sons. And in those days, and even still today, there's something called exorcism. And you say, wait a second, Pastor, we've got kids in the audience today. Yes, we do. And they've already watched plenty of movies and cartoons and read books that involve superstition and ghosts and all those other things. So when we talk about the spiritual dimension of our faith, we ought to be looking at what God's Word says about His power over every enemy. Do you hear me this morning? His power over every force of evil. So we sang about this this morning, and even though my wife and I were married, we live in the same house. She doesn't coordinate with me before I prep my message. I don't coordinate with her before uh, she does her song list. The first observation that I see in this passage we read is that we serve a God of miracles. Throughout Scripture, we have event after event that demonstrates God's power, and it is supernatural power. Here in Ephesus, we're told that God was working extraordinary miracles through Paul. People were being healed. Imagine that. Imagine that. People were being healed by just touching his garments. Garments that he had worn, they said, hey, can we have your clothes? We're going to take them to this far off place and go heal some people. Literally, God was with him in such a miraculous way. And you say, well, pastor, does God still do that kind of thing? He can if he wants to. This is a very interesting story. And passage where God is moving in an incredible way in this city. People are being healed when they're touched, even with clothing or cloths that had touched Paul. The second thing to notice is this in this passage. That healing and deliverance are true to God's character and behavior. Our God is eternal. I want you to listen to me this morning. And the louder you shout amen, the quicker we finish. Okay? Okay? Let me say it again. Healing and deliverance are true to God's character and His behavior. It's who He is. It's what He's always done. Well, I just don't know if it's God's will to heal me. Healing is part of God's plan. And no, it doesn't always happen like we wish it would, in the timing we wish it would, but someday it shall. Amen? And deliverance is true to God's nature, and to His character, to His behavior, to everything He's done for us as humans. It is demonstrative of who He is, that He is a deliverer. He rose up a people, they were enslaved, He set them free. They then acted stupid and got enslaved again. He set them free. You acted stupid and God set you free. Amen? He's still working that way today. And that gives me hope for people that I know and people that I love and and I care about that God is still in the delivering business. Amen? The third thing to look and notice is That God's enemy desires our bondage. This serves his chief purpose. If he can destroy the work of God in the people of God, then he feels as if he's headed to victory. So his desire is our bondage, but God's desire is our freedom. There is a real war going on right now. I I can't express this any clearer. There is a real war, and I'm not talking about artillery and tanks in a far-flung region of the Middle East. I am talking about there is a spiritual battle you and I are engaged in, and we need to know who our enemy is and how he behaves. And more than that, we need to know who our God is and how he will set us free and deliver us. God's enemy desires your bondage. And that doesn't stop when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, change my life, make me new. In fact, I'm going to say this, I believe that the war effort on the enemy's side ramps up and says, okay, one got one to that kingdom, now we've got another problem. And they go forward, They, they go hard after it. The fourth thing to realize is this, and this is okay for children to hear too, because it's real. The devil and demons really do exist. Well, pastor, you know, I I question that. I wonder. I don't know. I'm going to tell you the stuff in the New Testament that happened after Jesus' ministry, after his death and resurrection, tells me they're still around. I don't have time to go into a theological discourse about the origin of demons and all of the things that are in that. Maybe someday we'll do a fun sermon series on just that. Okay, But I'm going to tell you this, there's an enemy, he has an army, and they are working feverishly, tirelessly to thwart the plan of God, even in, or even more so in, the life of a believer. Paul says to a church in the New Testament, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things, supernatural things that are going on. He talks about the war. So it's important for us to understand they existed in the days of old. They existed in Paul's day after jesus day and they exist even today wait a second pastor are they in america yes (laughs) i thought they were only in those crazy places in a jungle somewhere with a shaman who's you know cooking up chicken bones no they're here in america too your kids are gonna have so many questions after this message (laughs) And you can take my kids out to lunch and explain it all to them. Their desire, though, is to oppose God and his people. It's really important that we understand that there, are super na- there is a supernatural element and dimension to our faith. Remember, we look to the word of God as our manual for life. And we're commanded or we see the command given all throughout scripture. When a supernatural event takes place, the words come forth from the heavenly being, whether it be a representation of God or an angel itself, to say what? Do not fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. So we should not be afraid to talk about these things. They are things that we really do need to talk about. But here's something I want you to know, First John chapter 4, verse 4, to give us a well-balanced meal today, I want you to understand we're not just talking about the powers of evil, we're talking even more so about the power that can overcome them. Look at what 1 John 4, 4 says. He writes, and he affectionately calls the people he's writing to, little children. And he says, you are from God and have overcome them. If you read the preceding verses, them is about false prophets and about evil spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I remember the courage that this verse alone brought me in my childhood. In a season where I had bad dreams night after night after night, I remember my mother and my father quoting this scripture over me and telling me, Dexter, look at me. Look me in the eye. I want you to know this. God's word says he who is inside of you is greater than any other thing on this planet. Man, what some courage just got stirred up inside of me, inside of life's crisis That we face as adults. We can have this same confidence. Amen. That he who is in us. Is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5 verse 18 says this. We know that everyone who has been born of God. Does not keep on sinning. I want you to just stop there for a moment. And think about this. I did have seven messages to preach. I'm going to try to combine them all in one on the fly. There is one thing, yeah, some of you didn't laugh. You're like, really, where's the punchline? There is one thing that you have the power to do to close the door to the enemy. The last word I just read from the middle of that verse it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, sin opens the door to the enemy. I'm convinced of it. It's proven in scripture. It's proven in your pastor's life. And I could dare say it's probably proven in yours as well. The enemy slips in unbeknownst to us in the moments where we give in to temptation and we sin. But here it is. He who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Another version says, will not kill him or harm him. So what can separate us from the love of God? We serve a God who is master of the universe. Amen? And so we need to think in terms like that. Romans 8, when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says it this way. He says, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. So as believers, we need to remember Paul's words that he wrote to Ephesus, the very church, the very city that we're talking about today. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, you may be familiar with the passage. Verse 10, it says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, Put on the full or the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, which expired by 2000 or stopped working in 1988 or are still around today in 2020 and in full color, full living color. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want you to stop there and just think about this though. Again, I don't mean to patronize you. But I want you to understand that last phrase against the spiritual forces of evil. It doesn't say in heaven. Do you understand me? There is no evil present in heaven. So you just got to read with your eyes wide open and understand spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the spiritual realm outside of what we can see, touch, taste and feel. He says, we're not wrestling against brothers and sisters. That's not where our battle is. It's not against governments or leaders. It's against something deeper than that. Something darker is at work in these places. So yes, we live in a natural world, but there is a spiritual or a supernatural dimension to it. And as believers, we cannot lose sight of this. You say, Pastor, you picked a weird passage to talk about today. As I was led through the book of Acts, I really felt we need the remembrance. We need the reminder from time to time that we can't lose sight of the truth of God's Word where it says He is the overcomer. He can defeat any power, any foe. And if He's your God, you can too with His help. Through his strength. I'm dealing with something in my personal life these days. And it's breaking my heart. Because I can't just push a button for somebody and fix things. Wish I could. Can't just push a button and make somebody get saved. Can't just push a button and fix somebody's marriage. Can't just push a button and fill in the blank. Buttons really only work to like roll windows up and down. I mean, that's pretty much... But we wish we had one of those easy buttons that we could just hit and fix things. My prayer is this. That as I pray through that difficult thing that someone is going through in my life that I know of. That I'm walking through with them. As we do that, I am praying that God would reveal to those who are involved. The spiritual forces of darkness that are at work. Because freedom is available to those who believe on Jesus Christ. Amen? So you need to hold on to this hope. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 19 says there were some exorcists traveling from place to place attempting to cast out demons. When it says that they were attempting to cast out demons, it's not that they were make-believe. Again, these are real people with real issues. I need to say this to give you a well-balanced meal today. Not everyone with an emotional or a mental issue or disorder is affected by something demonic. There are chemical imbalances. There are psychology, and psychologists will tell you there are things that we need to work through and we need to process with the help of others, and it, it may not have a spiritual influence. So don't go pegging the devil on every you know person who has depression or every person who's struggling with mental illness or something like that. That's not what this is about. What this is about is us understanding that in some instances, this does take place. So the sons of this priest were attempting to do this, and the passage tells us that the demon in one man spoke to them and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the challenge that I feel in reading that passage is, are we known by the enemy of God? Is Meg known by the enemy of God? Is Dan known by the enemy of God? So what? I know Paul and I've heard about Jesus and I know those people, but who are you showing up here thinking you're going to take authority over me? And so the challenge that I had for myself as I read through that is not that I am a demon chaser. If you know me, you know that's not true. I do not believe there's a demon behind every bush but I also believe there could be a demon behind every bush. You know what I mean? Are you getting that? I hope that's not confusing. I'm saying I don't live my life bound up by that ideology, but I do understand spiritual forces at work. I know that sometimes when I argue with my wife, it's her stupidity. I know that some, did somebody cut the video? I know that sometimes when I argue with my wife, it's my stupidity. I can't blame the devil. She can't look at me and say, you're the devil. That's, she's never done that, thank God. We may act like the devil to each other sometimes. You're laughing. You've been married a long time, brother. You know. <laughs> Bless her. But here's the deal. The devil is not in every detail, but he is in the details. That's what I'm getting at. There is a war that's going on, and really, you've got three enemies. If you're not aware of these, it's really real. The world is an enemy. I thank God, even though I hated that my parents told me I couldn't watch shows like The Smurfs as a kid. I thank God that they protected and guided me and guarded me. You say, Pastor, what's wrong with the Smurfs? Well, you could call my parents and ask, but there was a wizard who casted spells, and my parents were not a fan of that. They said, my 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 children don't need to participate and, and be interested or intrigued by this stuff. The world, the system of this world, and I, we could talk about video games today, We could talk about movies today. We could talk about all that stuff. But the world is an enemy to you. You are an enemy to you. How many times does Paul have to say it and yet I still don't get it and neither do you. The spirit has a will and it is not according to your flesh. And your flesh has a will, and it doesn't always walk in the Spirit. That's why he says in Galatians chapter 5 that you, if you're going to say you speak in the Spirit, then by all means, by God, walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the world is an enemy to you. You are an enemy to you. And then third is the enemy we've been speaking of, the devil and his army. Fear gripped the Ephesians, and the gospel continued to advance. And in the midst of all of this, it says that Jesus' name was extolled or lifted high. I want you to remember today. You say, Pastor, what's the point? I want you to remember today that your God is more powerful than your enemy. In all seasons, in all moments, in all instances, in every day of your life, no matter where you go and what you face. It doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's divorce. It doesn't matter if it's job loss. God is bigger than anything we face. Amen? It says in verse 18, Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Again, if you're reading with your eyes wide open, wait a second. I thought believers didn't have to repent. They repented already. Mm. Pull up verse 18, if you would, Miss Christine. Can we give Miss Christine and the media team a round of applause? They stress and sweat back there and they run on the fly like you wouldn't believe in the midst of all kinds of issues that you never know about. And I'm thankful. It says this, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. If you understand this, it's not that a bunch of people just started a giant crowd and said, what Jesus are you preaching? What is this message that you're giving? I want to know. No, it was people who had already said, I believe, I'm giving my life to God, I want to follow Him. But here's the, the, the problem they, there were people then, and there are people now who simply want to add God to their other gods. There are people in American churches, and I would dare say even this church, that want to simply add our God. To the other gods they worship. Well pastor they don't have shrines in their houses. They don't do those things. No but we definitely invest our time. Our money. Our resources. Our relationships. On things that sometimes detract. From what God's plan is for us. So believers were repenting. There's a truth for us to grasp in this. You cannot add God to your life. You are instructed to give him your life. The first commandment really is of primary importance. If you go back and look, the first commandment is thou shalt, and I quote in the King James Version because that's how I learned it, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Repentance means a complete change of heart and behavior. So these people were still in the process. Somebody, are you still in the process? My brother over here is about to experience a milestone birthday in a few days. He's still in the process. I'm sure his wife could tell you stories about him still being in the process. I'm sure your wife could tell me stories about you still being in the process. Repentance means a complete change of heart and behavior. You might say, Pastor, I don't have any other gods. (laughs) Are you sure? This sounds like a youth pastor message in the 1990s to me. (laughs) I mean, that's really, and hey, I'm going to tell you the point in a second about why I say that. But think about the time, the money, your attitude, your behavior. Be sure that you truly don't have any other gods, any other priorities above God. Verse 19 really does remind me of youth ministry in the 90s um, because they, they got together and they burned stuff. And uh, if you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. You brought those CDs with that devil music, that worldly music, and you put it in that big old 50-gallon drum and lit it on fire. And you did it in front of everybody. Everybody. And you said, I'm making a stand for Jesus. I was there. <laughs> I didn't see you. I, I was there at my own place doing that too. My wife has a funny story about that and the recovery of a CD that really shouldn't have been in the trash <laughs> that got sent to her just two or three months ago. Um, a gift came in the mail from her mother who knew that she got rid of it a long time ago. And it's a, it was a sweet gesture. Here's the, here's the thing I'm getting to. When they got together, they repented, and they got rid of it, and they said, no more. Let me just warn you as Christians, you shouldn't. Most of you who are older wouldn't, but those who are younger sometimes do fall prey to this. You shouldn't dabble or play with things in the spiritual realm. The Bible explicitly forbids things like divination, sorcery. My parents would say wizardry like in the Smurfs. And hidden dark arts. If you want to look it up, you can look it up in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But you know, I've met some believers who are like, I wouldn't dare do any of that stuff. Yet they take time and they read their horoscope. Oh, didn't mean to step on any toes. It got quiet. Um... You know what? You may think my parents are psycho and some days I did too. And God bless you, mom or dad, when you watch this video. I hope I get a phone call. But I'm telling you, when I told them for my birthday one year that this cool new thing was out and I saw it at Toys R Us, it was a magic eight ball and it gave you answers. I'm telling you what? My parents said, not in this house. To each their own. Listen, your kids are going to talk about you in future days. My kids are going to talk about me in future days. They do now, actually. Um, Here's the thing, though. Don't dabble in those things. The word dabble actually means to dip your hand or your foot and stir it around. Don't dabble in things of a spiritual nature that don't involve God. Things like a Ouija board... Or a fortune teller. You don't need that stuff to tell you what today or tomorrow brings because you need the Word of God. And more than that, you need the God of the Word who wants to live inside of you and guide you and lead you. I've told this story before, but it's been quite some time since I have. My dad was studying to be a minister and was, and still is, and has been for years. But when he was at college, he and some friends had thought that it would be a a cool idea. It was really actually a crazy idea for them to go and visit a fortune teller. Just as a joke, just thought, hey, you know, let's go see. Maybe she'll tell us who we're going to marry or whatever. And they thought, yeah, let's just go in. So they get there to the place where the fortune teller is. And they're seated and they're waiting. The first one goes up. The friend goes up. And gets to the table, the fortune teller begins to convulse and begins to scream out, why are you here? You can't tell me this stuff isn't real. She grabbed the man's hand and she started screaming out, you know I can't see your future. It's covered in blood. A real story that really happened to someone that my dad was part of and knew. Yeah, there's a fortune teller at the fair and it's probably fake hocus pocus. But the reality is there are real influences behind those dark things. And you have the power to overcome them because you serve a mighty God. Amen. Amen. Um, tell you what, that first boy sat at the table and the rest of them ran out of there faster than a fighter jet because they were not about to stay around for anything else. So we live in a spiritual reality, whether you're aware of it or not, the struggle is real. And don't forget that every single encounter of Jesus with demons in the New Testament ends in his victory And their defeat. There was not a moment where Jesus was like, "Mm, I guess I'm going to have to dust off some other tricks. This is not working. There was not one moment where he experienced defeat. He is always the victor and never the victim. And you don't have to be either. You can be victorious in Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, The word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. Fear is a motivator. You can win some by love and some by fear, the Bible says. And fear really motivated a lot of these people when they saw what took place. They said, Well, surely we must need to serve this God that Paul is preaching. But the devil is no match for our God. I love that the gospel continued to advance even though Paul got shipwrecked, snake bitten, stoned, beat up, in prison, thrown out. And I read in a later place in Acts that I'm studying for another message where it says this, the Holy Spirit, where Paul actually says this. He says, the Holy Spirit warned me in every city that I went to that I would receive these things. But he was man enough to still say, yes, I'll go. He thought that much of the gospel. And then the thought occurs to me of how much do we think of the gospel if we're ashamed to speak its truth to our friends, our neighbors, and our family members. Worship team, would you come? I'm almost preached out. So what is the application of a message like this talking about spiritual forces of darkness at war with God and His people? There are four things that I think are really important that we can apply and take away. The first is this. We are to have no other gods. Evaluate your own life and just understand there should be nothing else in top priority or position than him. If there is, there's time for you to fix that. You start making the change and you say, with God's help, I'm making this change. I will have no other gods before me. The second application is easier said than done. Repent and don't repeat. Repeat. all throughout the story of God claiming a people as his own and wanting to send salvation to them and wanting us to join him together in eternity, there has been this clarion call, this very clear worded call all throughout the pages of scripture that God's desire for those who call themselves his, that they would be holy and that they would be blameless Have you ever blamed someone for something and then realized they weren't to blame? That's what we're talking about. There's no guilt. There's no blame. He wants a people who have no area that they've not given up to him. He wants them to live holy. So if there's something and you say, Pastor, I didn't play with a Ouija board this week or read my horoscope. That's not, it doesn't have to be that. It can be bad attitudes. It can be your mouth. It can be your heart. It could be your behaviors. It could be your money. It could be a lot of things that God wants to deal with. In fact, he wants to deal with all of them, but he takes them one piece at a time. Fear not is the third application. I've had some spiritual experiences myself that were out of this world. I can tell you the story someday about being in high school and being far from God and pulling into the parking lot. I pulled into the parking lot of the place where I lived and I remember seeing a being that was not godly. I remember the fear that gripped me in that moment and rightfully so because I wasn't living for God. It was a wake-up call for me in that moment. When we serve God, we are to have no fear. Amen. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'll say it to you like this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in your boss. Come on. Greater is he that is in you than the person who's going to sit in the White House in January of 2021. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All those things can wash away and fall away by the wayside. One thing matters, and that is that you have a relationship with him. And this last application is this. Seek the Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. Truly, the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. There is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's no bondage. Come on, somebody. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I'll tell you this, and my wife will appreciate it. She'll kind of laugh. In that same parking lot in high school, after that strange experience that I believe was God helping me to see what was happening to me or going to, in that same parking lot, a few weeks later, I bought my, my favorite worship album of all time. And I'm looking at Mandy and Mark because I know they probably know it too. Daryl Evans. <laughs> Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I, I remember just jamming out to that song. And it was that song that I listened to 697 times in a single day. And I didn't have to listen to anything else. And then it never got old and I just kept singing it. Because I was being set free. The Lord was doing a work inside of me and I was celebrating that. I still want to celebrate that and I want to celebrate it with you today. If there's an area of your life where there's bondage, you can seek the Holy Spirit's help to give you freedom and liberty, amen? Would you stand with me today? Makes me kind of want to pull that song out. (laughs) Lord, your people are in need of you. The people of Celebrate Church need your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are believers in this place and part of this church that have been part of it for years, and they need the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh infilling from you today, God. Lord, would you breathe on this church and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Baptize us. Give us the boldness and the courage to stand up for you in our schools as we start our school year, in our jobs, in all of those areas. Help us, Lord, to not fear. Help us, Lord, to have no other gods. Help us, Lord, to walk the road of repentance. And Lord, help us to seek you in all things. Lord, I pray for Celebrate Church that today, during this Encore worship song, we would truly give all of ourselves to you afresh and anew and ask for you to touch us and to set us free in any area that we need. it. In the mighty name of Jesus.